You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes. Yes, you will. Don't know if I will, though. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast. From 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik. This is your broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, your friendly investigative citizen journalist, blogger, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. Here, even though I didn't think I was going to be here today. A funny thing happened. It's a funny thing about breaking news. <laughs> We've got, we got a big show for you today, and we didn't even know we were going to do it. We were supposed to, I'll tell you what was going to happen here. We were supposed to, uh, had some long scheduled family business uh, over the past few days. Some obligations we were going to uh, take off for a few days. And, uh, of course, as soon as I decide to take off, all kinds of news begins breaking. As a matter of fact, when we got off the air uh, last week, uh, right after we got off the air, uh, then comes the breaking news about the indictment of former U.S. House Speaker Denny Hastert. And, and well, we had just gotten our final show wrapped up. We were going to be flying across the country, gone for a few days off the air for a few days, and then that news came in. Now, normally that wouldn't matter much. Breaking news happens. But it happened to be this particular story about Denny Hastert, who we have been covering at bradblog.com for years, going back to about 2006. And talking about concerns uh, about bribery, about blackmail concerning Denny Hastert. So you can ima only imagine how insane it made me. To hear all the commentary as I'm flying across the country about what? Dennis Hastert? Why, he's Mr. Clean Marine. We had no idea. Denny Hastert? Blackmail? What? What could this be about? Well, if you had bothered to read Bradblog.com going back to about 2006, we have been reporting on whistleblower uh, Sibel Edmonds and her charges, her claims about Dennis Hastert contemporaneous from the time that he was the Speaker of the House, the longest-serving Republican Speaker of the House. 
And we're going to get into some of those uh, claims because they may, I think they do, come into play here in a certain way in these, uh, in this, uh, these new charges, these new uh, indictments against Speaker Dennis Hastert, who a lot of people never even heard of. They don't remember. Who? Dennis who? They don't remember. I'm going to talk about that in a second because we've got some damn near exclusive audio. And I say damn near exclusive because it was exclusive when we first ran it back in 2009 at bradblog.com. Audio from former FBI translator uh, Sibel Edmonds, sworn testimony from her concerning Dennis Hastert. And I was happy to say, I should say, flying across the country, I was happy to hear uh, when Rachel Maddow covered this story as it was breaking, I think, last Thursday night, she actually referred back to those allegations by Sibel Edmonds, which is great because when we broke a whole lot of them at Brad Blog, well, Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, they, they didn't seem to be paying a lot of attention back then. More on that in a moment, because just that one story, that wouldn't have been enough to bring me back. Just one, you know, Speaker of the House indicted with two criminal charges. That happens every day, right? But we have another story that we have been covering now uh, for the past year at bradblog.com. Again, sometimes almost entirely (laughs) exclusively concerning U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller, who was arrested last August for beating his wife. Now, you may or may not have heard over the weekend, as this broke as well, that uh, finally, as we're coming to almost the one-year mark since uh, Mark Fuller's arrest, finally, he has tendered his resignation to the president of the United States. Now, Mark Fuller was a, uh, a, a, a US, is a U.S. District Court judge who was appointed in 2002 by George W. Bush. He is the judge who oversaw the trial of former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman. Mark Fuller is from Alabama. He was the former Republican head of the uh, uh, former head of the Republican Party out there in Alabama. But he had refused to resign despite being arrested on charges of beating his wife. His his attorney, in fact, told me that, oh, that 911 call you have with audio of, uh, of, of Kelly Fuller saying she is being beaten by her husband, the judge, at a Ritz-Carlton hotel in Atlanta. Those slaps, those smacks you hear. Oh, that's just uh, that's just Kelly. That's the wife just uh, making up some noise to make it sound like she's been beaten. Like she's being beaten. She was drunk. She was hysterical, says Mark Fuller's attorney, Barry Ragsdale. Well, uh, suddenly, after uh, months and months now, remember this arrest happened last August, after months and months of of saying this never happened uh, uh, and we're not resigning, he's going to keep his job as a federal judge sitting in judgment of others, others like Don Siegelman, who he sent to jail for seven years for a crime that uh, 113 bipartisan former state's attorney general say was never a crime until he was charged with it, charged with it by a cabal put together by Karl Rove, who used to be a political consultant down in Alabama, as it turns out. It was very close to this federal judge, Mark Fuller, back before he was a federal judge. Anyway, you may have heard that Mark Fuller, for some reason, finally decided to tender his resignation to the president. 
He won't be resigning immediately, however. He's not going to resign until August 1. Until then, the taxpayer is going to be on the hook for paying him uh, two more months at least, at least, of his federal uh, $200,000 a year salary. You see, he can't be removed from office unless forcibly, unless he is actually impeached by the U.S. Congress. Well, the uh, information now uh, in that investigation into the uh, wife-beating arrest of Mark Fuller, the 11th Circuit U.S. Court has been looking at that matter, and uh, apparently they have now come back with their finding that they are sending to the U.S. Judicial Con- Judiciary Con- Conference which can then be passed on to the U.S. House. And uh, that group, that 11th Circuit Judicial Council, has found grounds for impeachment for this federal judge. Well, no, duh. (laughs) You think? We will be getting into those details uh, in this show as well. So uh, between that, between all of that breaking news on Hastert, on Fuller, we came back a bit early. No guests today. No guests. No callers. Just me and you. Maybe Desi Doyen from time to time. When I get something wrong, she will correct me. She always does. Um, I just want to let you know what's going on in this story because these are stories that we have been following at bradblog.com here on the Bradcast now for years. And while they're largely ignored, and, well, at least today, they don't seem to be being ignored. As a matter of fact, a, uh, a commenter, this is great, after we were out of town, a, a commenter at bradblog.com by the name of Who's he, what's this? Uh he, he left a great comment. He said, a mob of religiously devoted, regular Brad Blog readers who pour voraciously over each and every one of your outstanding articles the instant they're posted and then immediately demands, no, expects another one. Without regard for your schedule, priorities, income, physical health, or love life, have elected me their spokesmoron in order to convey the following message to you. Can't wait for your take on this. With a link to uh, Daily Kos's coverage of wife-beating federal judge Mark Fuller, who railroaded Don Siegelman, resigns under pressure. Well, the answer to your prayers is here. Who's you? What's it? I am. Uh, I am back here now uh, to cover exactly this and to cover it a bit early. So let's start, shall we, with Dennis Hastert? Because one of the interesting elements of this uh, De- Denny Hastert indictment that happened late last week was that uh, people, a lot of people, said, Den- Dennis who? Well, Dennis Hastert became Speaker of the House in the first place because he was supposed to be a guy who was not in trouble, who had no problems, because this was all on the heels of the 1998 impeachment of Bill Clinton and the beating, the drubbing that House Republicans took that year following that uh, drubbing. It was all sort of led by uh, uh, Newt Gingrich back then. Turns out uh, they were going after Bill Clinton for having an affair, and it turns out Newt Gingrich himself was having an affair. So when that came out, Gingrich eventually stepped down. In his uh, place, Bob Livingston, a Republican who had been in the House for years, he was elected as Speaker of the House, and wouldn't you know it, as it turns out, thanks to Larry Flint at Hustler, At Hustler Magazine, 
where, by the way, I still write from time to time. Larry Flint came out, uh, was offering a million dollars to anyone who had evidence of uh, these people who were impeaching Bill Clinton, evidence that they were having an affair. Well, apparently there was evidence that Bob Livingston himself was having an affair, and this we know thanks to Larry Flint and Hustler. And so Bob Livingston then had to step down as well. Well, now they had to find someone, someone to become the Speaker of the House for the Republicans, given the fact that uh, everyone else uh, who was impeaching Bill Clinton seemed to be having an affair. They had to find some. So they found Dennis Hastert, Mr. Clean Marine, former high school uh, uh, wrestling coach, football coach, backbencher. No one had ever really heard of him. He was going to keep Republicans out of trouble. No one could actually find any problem with him. And in fact, Larry Flint and Hustler, to my knowledge, did not find any problem with him, at least not back then. But as I wrote at Hustler, both about uh, this story and Sibel Edmonds, the translator I mentioned before, and about the Mark Fuller story. See, you see that uh, there was a time years ago, back during the Bush administration, when people like me weren't allowed to write pretty much anywhere. And I remember going to, because you couldn't say bad things about the president. You couldn't say bad things about Republicans. And I remember going, I was at some, a speaking event in uh, Santa Cruz, I think it was, up in, up in California, independent media uh, event. And uh, a story that I had broken, I think it was on Ann Coulter and the fact that she committed voter fraud. Felony voter registration fraud down in, uh, down in Florida. Uh, I, I think I was on the cover of Hustler, and they had just sent me a, um, uh, uh, not me, <laughs> I wasn't naked, just my name, Ann Coulter, uh, you know, voter fraud felon by Brad Friedman. And I pulled out the cover of that Hustler, and I showed it to this independent media conference, and uh, sort of uh, quoting, uh, paraphrasing, if you will, Don Rumsfeld at the time, I said, you know what, sometimes... You go to press with the media you have, not the media you want. And in fact, Hustler was a media outlet that we had. Hustler was a media outlet that did not flinch during the Bush administration, that did not flinch when all, pretty much damn near all of the corporate media would not run things that were in any way seen to be critical of George W. Bush and Republicans and that particular administration. But Hustler did. So good for Hustler, including good for Larry Flint for uh, for outing Bob Livingston and Newt Gingrich and that hypocrisy and ultimately giving us Denny Haster. But one of the stories that Hustler allowed me to write for them when others wouldn't was the story of Sibel Edmonds, a former FBI translator. Uh, who uh, joined the FBI after 9-11. She had actually applied years earlier, but she joined the FBI after 9-11 when they were looking for uh, additional translators for you know languages uh, like Persian and Farsi and Turkish and so forth. And she speaks all of them. And they needed translators to go through the backlog of wiretaps that the uh, FBI had been making in their various investigations going back over years that had backlogged 
leading up to 9-11. And one of the, you remember uh, when after 9-11, one of the th- things they, uh, the, the 9-11 uh, committee, for what it's worth, one of the things they found about it was, oh, well, there were signs that we could have done something we should have known before 9-11 happened. There were signs, but it was all backlogged and there weren't enough people uh, checking the, the, the wire tapes and the transcripts and so forth. And Sibel Edmonds had some extraordinary claims, extraordinary claims to make. We'll see. Maybe we'll have her on later in this week. We've had her on this show before in, in years past. But she had some extraordinary claims, and I'm not going to even go into all the details right now because there were uh, so many, and they are so extraordinary. But nonetheless, she was not allowed to speak about those claims as she became a whistleblower. She spoke uh, in private with members of Congress, told them what it was that she saw. Uh, Charles Chuck Grassley, I think, and... and uh, um, uh, Leahy from Vermont, they were the ranking Republican and Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee. They thought that she was credible. They found her to be credible. And yet the Bush administration came in and invoked the state secrets privilege, which is something that's not even a law. It's just a, an executive privilege that presidents like to invoke and courts will often go along with when it is used. It's rarely invoked, but it was invoked, I believe, at least twice in the case of Sibel Edmonds. So much did the Bush administration not want Sibel Edmonds to talk about what she saw as a translator at the FBI that they invoked the state secrets privilege and the ACLU took up her case. The ACLU called her the most gagged woman in the history of the United States. Because when the uh, presidential administration invokes state secrets privilege, even Sibel did not get to be there in court when that was done. The government comes in, they take the uh, the judge in the back room, and they tell them uh, why it is that this uh, information is, is so important to national security that it can't even come out, that the accuser, that the other party can't even be there to counter that information. And they got away with it. And her, her case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And she was not able to get that information out. Yet we covered it on the Brad blog year after year after year. Dan Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers whistleblower, he, he spoke about it on uh, he wrote about it at Brad blog, said that Sibel Edmonds information is the most uh, explosive information since the Pentagon Papers. I think he said it was more explosive than the Pentagon Papers. In any event, I'm trying to keep it short, not succeeding. But uh, after years, she finally said, you know what, I'm going to tell what I know. And, uh, you know, if a mainstream media outlet will let me speak it, uh, you know, without interruption, live. Well, I, and I remember I remember hearing from ABC News because we broke that story at, at Brad Blog. ABC News contacted me. They said, well, we, we'd like to talk to her, but, you know, we'll have to report it out. It's going to take time. Sabelle said, no, 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 you can't do that because you'll cut it up. You'll go to the government. They'll say, no, you can't put this out. And then you'll smear me in the process. Well, as it turns out, in 2009, a court case in Ohio came up concerning um, sort of cursorily concerning some of the charges that she was making. And she was called as a witness. And as a witness, she was allowed to testify under oath. And we were all waiting at the time it happened. I remember this in the I think it was the summer uh, of July 2009. She was about to make her 
to give her under oath testimony on all of these things that she knew. And there was a lot of them had to do with nuclear weapons being uh, sold on the black market as the State Department was looking under uh, looking the other way. It had to do with Congress members of both parties uh, being bribed and, and blackmailed and so forth. Th- this much we knew. Some of that came out in, in Vanity Fair. Some of it came out on 60 Minutes, who covered Sibel Edmonds' story twice. I think they reran her story back when she couldn't talk. Once she could talk, they stopped following it. Imagine that. They stopped reporting what she had to say. Anyway, she was called in uh, in 2009 in a court case in Ohio to be asked a bunch of questions. We thought the uh, DOJ might show up and try to stop her and vote this, invoke the state secrets privileges privilege. But they didn't. This time it was under Barack Obama. And to his credit, they did not stop her from talking. They let her testify. And we have the entire Sibel Edmonds uh, testimony from 2009 in Ohio at bradblog.com. One of those folks that she said was being bribed and blackmailed at the time was Dennis Hastert. Mr. Clean Marine, that last week everyone said, that's outrageous. What? I had no idea. Well, we had an idea. We had an idea at least that this uh, whistleblower was claiming he wasn't such a clean Marine. And she was saying that this was based on transcripts that she had personally seen involving Dennis Hastert, involving Turkish uh, drug agents, I think, dark uh, Turkish agents at the time, making, making claims about Denny Hastert. And she was being very careful in 2009 to still try to not, uh, you know, violate classified secrets during her testimony. But she was asked directly about Dennis Hastert during that testimony. And here's a little bit about what she had to say when she was asked about uh, about this case and about uh, Denny Hastert, who who she had uh, said had stopped a vote on whether uh, there was genocide in Turkey. A year, uh, 100 years ago. Anyway, here's what Sibella Edmonds had to say under oath during some of those proceedings. It also appears that you have a photograph of Dennis Hastert uh, in, the, in the gallery? Yes. Okay, and why is, why is his photograph there? Um, again, this information is public, has been public. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, he uh, would be one of the primary uh, U.S. persons involved in operations and activities um, that are not legal and it's like they're not for the interest of the United States but for the interest of foreign governments and foreign entities. Okay. Yeah, and again, Mr. Haster was the Speaker of the House and representative from Illinois? At the time he was. Um, can you tell me anything about uh, you know, your, what your concerns are about, about Mr. Hastert? Uh, this information has been public. Uh, the concerns, again, would be in several categories. Uh, the uh, acceptance of large sums of uh, bribery um, in forms of cash or laundered cash uh, and laundering it to make it look legal for his campaigns and also for his personal use in order to um, do certain um, favors and call certain call for certain actions and make certain things happen for foreign entities and foreign governments interest Turkish government's interest and Turkish 
business entities' interests. Now, I should say there, I should correct, I said uh, Armenian genocide, I should say it was the, uh, I said Turkish genocide, it was the Armenian genocide by Turkey 100 years ago. And a vote in Congress was going to happen to recognize that genocide, but at the last minute, Denny Hassert stopped it. Now, that was Sibel Edmonds, FBI translator turned whistleblower, talking about Dennis Hastert and things that she says, at least that she saw when she was uh, uh, translating on behalf of the FBI, translating old wiretaps, laundered cash, bribery, favors, calls for certain actions. Does it mean these things happen? No, it doesn't. But at the time when we reported on this, when we ran her uh, explosive allegations, you had a media going, what? No, not our Dennis Hastert. No way. He's a high school teacher. He would never do anything like that. Now, of course, we are beginning to learn still from uh, unnamed sources about uh, what these charges against Dennis Hastert are about. Allegedly, they appear to have something to do with sexual transgressions back when he was a high school teacher with perhaps a student. But of course, what? Not Danny Hastert. He would never do anything like that. Well, apparently, according to uh, this whistleblower back in 2009 and before then, sure, he would. Here's a few, uh, although it was, you know, Ignored at the time by the mainstream media because, you know, whistleblowers, all they want to do is get famous because, you know, whistleblowers, that looks great on your resume. Nothing but money when you're a whistleblower. Anyway, here's a few more uh, moments concerning Dennis Hastert from the Sibel Edmonds testimony in this case back in 2009 about some, I think she regards them as immoral activities in a townhouse in D.C., with regard to uh, Mr. Hastert, um, for example, he used a townhouse that was not his residence and for certain not very uh, morally accepted activities. Now, whether that was being used as blackmail, I don't know. But the fact that foreign entities knew about this, in fact, they sometimes participated in some of those not maybe morally well, activities in that particular townhouse that was supposed to be an office, not a house, residence, at certain hours, certain days, evenings of the week. So I can't say if that was used as blackmail or not, but certain activities, they were, they were shared, they were known. They were shared, they were known, certain activities. And now, as it turns out, at least according to information reported by the L.A. Times, following the indictment, certain activity uh, may be at the root of uh, the, the reasons that uh, Denny Hastert ultimately has been indicted now for agreeing to pay $3.5 million in hush money to keep a still unidentified person silent about quote-unquote prior misconduct, past misconduct by defendant against individual A that had occurred years earlier. And he's actually not indicted for the hush money. He's indicted for uh, the way he uh, structured the hush money by trying to take it out in less than $10,000 increments so as not to uh, flag the federal government. And then lying about it to the FBI when he was asked about it. 
Now the question, of course, has come up since then. Well, where did a humble teacher and politician uh, high school wrestling coach end up with $3.5 million? Well, that was something else that Sabelle Edmonds had told us because for all of those years that she was saying that he had been doing favors for the Turkish government, what do you know? As soon as uh, Dennis Hastert resigned from Congress once the uh, Democrats took over the U.S. House, Denny Hastert went to a great big, really uh, high-priced lobbying firm to lobby on behalf of Turkey. Of Turkey, the country of Turkey. Just as if as uh, Sibel Edmonds, the whistleblower, had suggested would likely be the case given the actions that he uh he pulled off on behalf of Turkey while he was, I mean, of all the countries in the world, that's the one. That's the one that he goes to become a lobbyist for. And boy, did he make a lot of loot working for that lobbying firm. And he worked for He's been working for him up until uh, he was indicted last week. And this firm uh, removed him from their, uh, from their website just last week. Dickstein Shapiro is the name of the group. So uh, a lot of this big news, big surprise to a lot of people in the mainstream corporate media. Maybe not that big of a surprise to those who had followed Bradblog.com over all of these years. Yes, sometimes you go to uh, to press with the media you have, not the media you want. In this case, it's the media that has been reporting to you what others would not with evidence to independently verify what we've been reporting for years and years. Had you been reading us, you might not have been so surprised when Dennis Hastert was indicted last week. I suspect there will be much more on that story in the days ahead. We're going to take a quick break and come back with the other story you might have known about a year ago, at least, had you been uh, following bradblog.com. The resignation of federal judge Mark Fuller after the 11th Circuit U.S. Judicial Circuit has found that his conduct after being arrested uh, beating his wife last year in Atlanta allegedly, quote, might constitute one or more grounds for impeachment under Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Back early because you deserve it. Actually, because uh, breaking news on a lot of the stories, on uh, several big stories we've been covering for many years here on the Bradcast and at Bradblog.com. Talked a little bit about the Denny Hastert business and the claims that had you been paying attention to Bradblog years earlier, you would have. Uh, known you would have at least have not been quite as surprised when 
Uh, Denny Haster was indicted last week in what appears to be related to past indiscretions, bribery, blackmail, who knows? Uh, perhaps of a former uh, student of his back when he was a high school teacher. We'll learn more about that in the days ahead. But the point is, we knew. We knew there were allegations against him. And speaking of allegations uh, that the mainstream media had been ignoring, but we hadn't, Federal Judge Mark Fuller, U.S. District Court Judge from the Middle District of Alabama. We've been driving you crazy with our coverage of this story uh, here on the broadcast uh, at bradblog.com. We've been playing the audio from the 911 call from his wife, Kelly Fuller. Because no one else was playing it. They were, oh, they were upset when uh, NFL uh, superstar Ray Rice, when there was video of him knocking out his wife in an elevator. But this one, there was no video of it. Sure, the guy happens to be a U.S. federal uh, judge with a lifetime appointment, $200,000 a year. Can't be removed from office other than by an act of Congress. But hey, we got no evidence of it. Why be upset? Well, we do have evidence of what Judge Fuller was doing to his wife, Kelly. We have a 911 call that we have played uh, on this show. We obtained in full and published in full exclusively at bradblog.com uh, where his wife is uh, asking for an ambulance saying that he is beating on me uh, this is the guy judge fuller former republican operative in the uh, state of alabama who was appointed by carl rove slash george w bush back in 2002 to be a federal judge with his lifetime appointment and then to go after Don Siegelman, the former very popular Democratic governor of Alabama, on charges that no one had ever known uh, constituted bribery before. This guy had a grudge against Siegelman. He should have recused himself from the case. He did not. Siegelman is now in a federal uh, uh, institution for uh, six and a half years. Won't be out until he's 27, until 2017. On the other hand, Judge Fuller was arrested last August, almost a year ago, on charges of beating his wife. And because he was allegedly a first-time offender, the state uh, court there let him off the hook, by and large. He was allowed to uh, uh, strike a deal for a pretrial diversion. All, all Judge Mark Fuller, federal judge, very powerful federal judge, sitting in judgment of others, all he had to do was go to domestic counseling, uh, uh, domestic abuse counseling once a week for 24 weeks and get a court-ordered uh, drug and alcohol evaluation, and he'd be off the hook. His criminal record would be entirely expunged as if it never happened. He could go back to court, go back to sitting in judgment of others, and this wife-beating episode literally would never have happened, at least as far as the court system was concerned. And never mind the fact that his previous wife, back in 2012, just two years earlier, had also alleged uh, physical abuse during their marriage of both her and their children. Never mind all of that. That was in divorce papers. Those papers were sealed. The state court didn't look at them. Eh, this is a first-time offense. Anyway, just to remind you, here's the 911 call made by Kelly Fuller, <clears throat> the wife of U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller. Kelly, by the way, was uh, the one who, who 
previously served as a court bailiff for Judge Fuller during the first marriage. And as those court papers said from that first marriage in 2012, Kelly, then Kelly Gregg, was having an affair with Judge Fuller at the time of the divorce, and then they went on to get married. And then apparently, if you believe your own ears in this 911 call, Kelly Fuller went on to become Judge Fuller's next victim. What's going on? Um, this is domestic. Excuse me? A domestic receipt. Okay, with yourself and who else? I'm a calling. I need help. What's your name? Kelly Fuller. Okay, do you need an ambulance? Yes, please. Kelly? Kelly? Okay, she needs an ambulance. I'm sending the police. They're in a domestic fight now at the Ritz-Carlton. So you can hear those slaps uh, in the background, which um, are allegedly the judge beating uh, Kelly Fuller. When the police arrived, they found uh, Kelly uh, Fuller uh, bloodied, uh, lacerations on her her, uh, neck and face. Her hair uh, around the room where she says Judge Fuller had been dragging her by the hair, blood in the bathroom. But of course, you know, first time, first time offense. Let's let him go. He didn't mean it. He's a federal judge after all. Let's let him off the hook. And of course, he he was saying he never beat her or, or kick her, that she was making the whole thing up. His attorney, Barry Ragsdale, Birmingham attorney, told me, told us at bradblog.com that it never happened. That his client, Mark Fuller, never beat, hit, kicked, struck Kelly Fuller. She was just drunk and hysterical and making it up for some reason. Unclear what that reason would be. She was just making it sound as if she was being beaten, maybe even making up those uh, sounds on her own. Well, uh, a five-panel, a five-judge panel of the 11th Circuit Court investigated this matter they've been investigating it for months they've been investigating since after it happened back in uh, i believe beginning in september of 2014 they've been interviewing all kinds of witnesses including i'm told kelly fuller now all that testimony to date has been confidential and uh, fuller's attorney barry ragsdale told me that uh, she essentially recounted everything in that uh Uh, during that testimony, and that he expected his client to be cleared entirely. Well, he was not cleared entirely. As a matter of fact, after months and months of Judge Fuller saying, no, he would absolutely not resign, he was going to stay on. If you wanted to remove him from office, it would take an act of Congress. Literally, he would have to be impeached. He was not going. All of a sudden, over the weekend, when I'm out of town and can't cover it, he decides to give a, uh, a, a two-sentence resignation letter to President Obama, saying that it has been an honor and privilege to serve, but he is stepping down. Now, why did that happen all of a sudden? Why did that happen after all of this time of, of claiming he didn't do anything wrong and that his own attorney said, no, he didn't do anything wrong, there was no beating, no kicking, no uh, nothing here? 
Why all of a sudden did Judge Mark Fuller decide to resign over the weekend? Well, I think now we know. The uh, five-judge panel on the 11th Circuit uh, U.S. Court of Appeals that had been brought together to investigate this matter and who had uh, taken all kinds of testimony, and as a matter of fact, last, uh, I think, April, everyone thought that uh, investigation was going to wrap up. They were going to come out with their findings, send them up the chain, maybe go to the U.S. uh, House where there could be impeachment hearings, but everyone thought it was unlikely. Uh, All of a sudden, that five-judge panel decided they wanted more testimony. Really? Why? About what? We don't know. And we still don't know because that information has yet to be released. But as of this afternoon, uh, as first reported by the Atlanta uh, legal news outlet, The Daily Report, uh, the Judicial Council has released a one-page order sound, uh, signed by the acting chief circuit judge. Here's what that is. Two paragraphs. Here's what it says. Judicial Council order. The Judicial Council of the 11th Judicial Circuit, having unanimously adopted the findings and recommendations of the report of the special committee filed with the Judicial Council, on April 27, 2015, hereby finds that Judge Fuller's conduct, quote, might constitute one or more grounds for impeachment under Article 2 of the Constitution, unquote. Accordingly, the Judicial Council declines to dismiss the complaints against Fuller, and the Judicial Council instead refers this finding, along with the Special Committee report and the records of the, those proceedings, to the Judicial Council. I'm sorry, Judicial Con- Conference of the United States. So ordered this uh, the first day of June 2015. Gerald Bard Joe Flat, Acting Chief Circuit Judge. Okay, so what that means is the uh, five-judge special committee that was convened to look in this case could not uh, do away with the complaint that was filed against Mark Fuller, saying that he was not fit for office, and that that uh, five-judge panel found uh, that his conduct, quote, might constitute one or more grounds for impeachment under Article Two of the Constitution. They took that information, they gave it to the full 11th Circuit Court, the Judicial Council of the 11th Circuit Court, and they unanimously adopted the findings of that panel, and they are now passing that finding on to the uh, U.S. Judicial Conference, which is sort of the administrative arm of the U.S. Judiciary. That U.S. Judiciary then will look at this report, and if they decide to adopt those findings, they can pass those recommendations, whatever they are, we haven't seen them yet, onto the U.S. House, onto the Congress, onto the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. And way back when this story first broke, back in August of 2014, I spoke with someone in the office. I spoke with a number of people involved with the uh, case in Congress, but specifically someone in uh John Conyers, Democratic uh, uh, Congressman John Conyers of Michigan, someone in his office. Conyers is the, now the ranking member, the ranking Democrat of the House Judiciary Committee. He had been the chairman of that committee for years until the Republicans took, uh, took over. Now the uh, congressman in charge is Bob Goodlatte, I believe, from uh, Virginia, as I recall. But both Goodlatte and Conyers 
said that they were very concerned about this. Conyers' office explained to me that they would uh, wait and see what the recommendation was as it came from the U.S. Judicial Conference and that the U.S. Judicial Conference would get their recommendations from the 11th Circuit Court. Well, it's been working its way up the food chain since then. And uh, the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, where... Uh, impeachment proceedings generally begin in the U.S. Congress. Uh, they begin in the uh, Judiciary Committee, and then they get uh, uh, voted on there and then sent on to the full House. And if the full House agrees to uh, with the charges of impeachment, then, that, then there's a trial in the U.S. Senate. And it is very rare, very rare. I think there's only been about 12 federal judges who have ever been removed by, uh, by impeachment. Most of them, when it looks like they're going to be impeached, most of them suddenly resign. So uh, the uh, the uh, U.S. House Judiciary Committee actually asked for uh, uh, funding for uh, increase in their budget in case they had to have impeachment hearings in the case of Mark Fuller. Congresswoman Terry Sewell, Democrat from Alabama, the only Democrat in that uh, contingent there, has been calling for Mark Fuller's impeachment for a long time saying that she was going to demand impeachment uh, proceedings begin. All of the other Congress members from the uh, contingent, from the Alabama contingent, all Republicans, uh, including the two U.S. uh, senators, also both Republicans, both Republicans who had recommended uh, Mark Fuller back in 2002 when he was appointed by George W. Bush, they have all also called for Mark Fuller to step down, though it was really Terry Sewell who was saying, I don't want him to step down, I want him to be impeached. Upon news of Fuller's resignation over the weekend, or at least his uh, letter to uh, to uh, President Obama that he intended to resign as of August 1, that's two more months from now, he's still going to be drawing taxpayer salary until August 1, despite having had his caseload reassigned after his arrest a year ago, almost an entire year ago. He's been taking your money, doing nothing other than defending himself and taking $200,000 a year to do it. And not not only has he been taking money, but all of these other committees uh, that are meeting, these panels that are investigating and all of this. You're paying for that, too, by the way. Thanks, Mark Fuller. Terry Sewell, uh, Congresswoman, uh, released a statement, she said uh, over the weekend, news of Judge Fuller's impending resignation is a welcome outcome to a very painful breach of the public trust. His resignation will be the culmination of a drawn-out process that was woefully unnecessary. The public trust was violated the moment his wife phoned the police. Congresswoman Sewell says justice was not served here. We sent the wrong message to victims of domestic violence by allowing a federal judge to collect a paycheck without managing a caseload and ultimately having his record expunged. Fuller failed to upload our most fu- uh, to uphold, I'm sorry, our most fundamental values said the congresswoman. Perhaps the only consolation is that he has chosen to spare his family and our nation of the expense of a drawn-out impeachment process. But, yeah, um, 
in truth, he's gotten off the hook. In truth, he, uh, he I think he spent one night in jail the night that he was arrested uh, when his wife called from the Ritz-Carlton saying she was being beaten. He was released the next day. Then the court case went away. The criminal case went away as if it never happened. Then he didn't even have, he didn't even have to work. They got rid of his caseload. They assigned it to other judges over the past year. Ten months. Ten months. I think if you do the math, it's uh, something like $190,000 he's received from the taxpayers over the past ten months for doing nothing. And... Uh, now he's got another two months where I think it's uh, something like $33,000 or something. He, he'll, he'll still receive before he's officially gone unless he steps down now. And by the way, I think it's absolutely outrageous that he's received even a dollar from the federal government since, since being arrested, much less now for two more months with no caseload. I've uh, sent a query to the 11th Circuit trying to figure out what the hell this guy is doing and how they feel about the fact that he's going to uh, continue to accept a, a taxpayer salary for the next two months, much less the last nine, much less the last uh, I don't know how many years since he refused to recuse himself in the case of Don Siegelman, really the only case that this uh, federal judge Mark Fuller is known for for this railroad job against the governor, the former Democratic governor of Alabama. That was the only thing Mark Fuller was known for until he was arrested on charges of beating his wife. So now there's a question about will he receive his federal pension? And I'm trying to get some answers to that. I'm trying to get answers from the 11th Circuit trying to get answers to that from uh, uh, Terry Sewell and anybody who could tell me. Uh, he's not entitled to his uh, retirement pension unless he serves 15 years and is 65 years of age or older. He's actually 55 years old. He's only served 12 years. But um, when another federal judge wrote about this case, a general, uh, uh, federal judge, uh, senior federal judge Kopf, uh, who's also a Republican, <clears throat> very conservative, and said that uh, Fuller got a sweet deal when he got that pretrial diversion deal and had his criminal record uh, knocked out. He said that uh, though the uh, federal code, U.S. Code Title 28, Chapter 17, says he's not entitled to his re uh, uh, retirement pension, that there are certain things within the federal code that would give them the leverage at the Judicial Council to, quote, pay him forever as an inducement to resign. The question now is, has he been paid as an inducement to resign? Will he did he get yet another sweet deal? Will he get to collect uh, his retirement pension that he doesn't deserve for the rest of his life? These are questions that we will uh, continue to keep our eyes on, that I'm continuing to try to figure out. But that's where we are. And that's some pretty big breaking news. And by the way, impeachment can still continue against this federal judge. And frankly, if he is still obtaining tens of thousands of dollars from the taxpayers, not just in the next two months, but perhaps for the rest of his life, perhaps the House should cons consider looking at impeachment hearings against this federal judge, Mark Fuller, whether he has resigned from office or not. 
Man, what a story. We will continue to tell it even while too many others continue to ignore it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Can't slow down. Ain't no rest for the wicked. Welcome back to the Bradcast. This is the bonus show you weren't supposed to have, but because I love you that much, you get a bonus show. We were supposed to take the uh, take this day off uh, for some family obligations. Came back uh, a little bit early. Brad Friedman uh, from bradblog.com on your Bradcast with these two big, huge breaking stories about uh, Dennis Hastert. You would have known. You would have known he wasn't such a clean marine. Had you followed the Brad blog for many years, story about Mark Fuller. You might not have even heard of him um, if you didn't follow BradBlog.com, because nobody gave a damn. It was it was remarkable when Ray Rice, the uh, NFL player, uh, w- w- you know, when video came out of him beating his wife. All of these folks in Congress were furious. Oh, it's outrageous. An NFL superstar beats his wife, gets off the hook with a slap on the wrist. And I'm sitting here thinking, stop pretending you give a damn about Ray Rice and what he did to his wife, beating his wife. Because you, Congress, are the only ones who can actually remove a federal judge from office after he, what, beat his wife. At least was arrested for doing so. So the hypocrisy in Congress was amazing. And in in some sense, uh, I think that Mark Fuller would have even flown even further below the radar had it not been for that Ray Rice video. Yeah, I believe you're and, right about that. You know, and and had uh, well, I, I wrote an argu- uh, an article about it, saying you know how can you be how can Congress how can you be so concerned about Ray Rice when you don't give a damn about this federal judge who did this? And it seemed like yes, first if it's not on video, it's like it didn't happen at all, and there was probably a racial component as part of that as well. I think. Oh, there you go, playing the race card. Again. Yeah, because you know Judge Fuller is white, yeah. Ray Rice, the football player, is black, and the the the. The way that people spoke about the Ray Rice incident when you compared it to how they spoke about Judge Fuller when they bothered to notice that Judge Fuller had his allegations against him. When they bothered to notice. And it was only, you know, after they were raising hell about uh, these Congress members were raising hell about what happened in the Ray Rice case. And others of us said, "Uh, excuse me, pardon me. Uh, What about that, uh, you know, guy, uh, U.S. District Federal Judge, for Christ's sake, who was arrested for beating his wife. We have a 911 call of it, for Christ's sake. I know it's not video, but man, man. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I could say this was justice now that Mark Fuller has stepped down, has submitted his resignation. I don't know yet if it is. Seems like he's still getting off with a pretty sweet deal, and and especially if it turns out that this was a deal in exchange for retaining his uh, lifetime pension. We will find out. In the meantime, by the way, this dude's already a millionaire. Montgomery Advertiser noted that uh, Mark Fuller reported 
uh, on his disclosure forms back in 2012 that uh, he had income, and they, they only give these wide ranges uh, in, in these disclosure reports, uh, but he had uh, reported income between 100000 and $1 million from his stake in DOS Aviation of Alabama, Inc., and Aureus Aviation, Inc. He, he owns... <laughs> That's the amazing thing. He owns these aviation companies. He's sat uh, in cases where people have said, you should, uh, you've got another uh, uh, conflict, conflict of, of interest. interest. Yeah. Yes. But he doesn't give a damn. And he's also uh, reported hundreds of other investments in stock transactions whose value was listed only in wide ranges. Hey, man, sweet work when you can get it. And it's a lifetime appointment. Unless you're impeached, which you almost never are. Okay, we got to get out. I'm sure we'll be covering uh, both of these stories uh, much more uh, in the uh, in the days ahead, and a whole bunch more uh, broke over this uh, past weekend that we haven't been able to get to at all. So, go figure. Busy news week. I guess that'll teach me <laughs> taking some time off, some days away. What the hell was I thinking? My thanks, as always, to uh, our producer Desi Doy, and thank you very much to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn. And, of course, to you, the listeners, for listening and tolerating me. And my thanks to all of our affiliates and more. If you missed any portion of our show today, check out bradblog.com. We'll have it posted there later. You can also download our shows anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. We'll be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, drop me some email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Or you can find me on the Twitters at thebradblog. And, of course... At Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>